For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Romans, for or against Torah. This is part nine of the series. We are going to examine Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, and in particular, we want to explain to you this verse that's often misunderstood in traditional Christianity, Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. And so this verse is often taken to make the argument that we are not supposed to follow the Torah today as an expression of faith in Yeshua as the Messiah. So to begin with, we're going to look at Romans in chapter 7, beginning in verses 1 and 2, where it is written, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to those that know the law. And in context, he's speaking regarding those that understand Torah marriage law. How the, the law, that is Torah marriage law, has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law, that is the marriage vows that they've made to each other, that a woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, that means in a marriage, if one of the spouses pass away, then the other spouse is free to marry someone else, and it is not seen or regarded that they have committed adultery against their spouse. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law or the marriage vows of her husband. So we see in this that Paul's trying to make a point regarding two people who get married that the vows that they made to each other on the day of their wedding, that they are meant to be for the duration of the lives of both spouses. And those vows then only come into play where the other person can marry another if one of the spouses passes away. So the point is, Paul is making that in marriage, that the death of a 
spouse severs the original marriage vows that was made between them. And Paul is going to take the understanding of a marriage between a man and a woman and apply that to what happened at Mount Sinai, wherein we're going to see that at Mount Sinai, Yeshua gave the Torah, and at Mount Sinai, there was a marriage that took place between Yeshua, the lawgiver, who is also the bridegroom, and the nation of Israel, or the house of Jacob, that was there at Mount Sinai. Continuing on, in Romans chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, we're going to see how Paul is trying to make this analogy. So, then if, while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. So, if two people are married and one of the spouses has an extramarital affair, then that person is regarded as being an adulterer in the marriage relationship. But if her husband dies, she is free from the original marriage vows. And so that if she then marries someone else, she's not regarded as being an adulteress, though she's married to another man. And then Paul connects this thought in Romans chapter 4, wherefore my brother. So he's taken the analogy and now he's going to apply it to one who believes in Yeshua as the Messiah and our relationship with him, which is likened unto a marriage relationship. Wherefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law by the body of Messiah. So in context, what Paul is describing, what we've been dead to, was the original marriage vows. And without an understanding that at Mount Sinai there was a marriage that was made between the one that gave the Torah, and without an understanding that Yeshua gave the Torah and that he is the bridegroom of the nation of Israel or the house of Jacob, you're going to misinterpret what Paul is trying to say in Romans chapter 7 verse 4, that what we become dead to is the consequences of the penalty of the marriage vows that was made at Mount Sinai. And the consequence of the marriage vows by breaking the covenant is that there would be a curse that would come upon you for breaking the marriage covenant at Mount Sinai. And one of the elements of the curses is that it is a death sentence upon you for breaking the covenant and the marriage vows that were made at Mount Sinai. So this is what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 7 verse 4 that what we've been dead to become dead to the law by the body of Messiah that you should be married to another even him who's raised from the dead so now we are married to Messiah who's been raised from the dead but what happened to him before he got raised from the dead he died so therefore in his death the penalty of the original vows where by breaking those vows a death sentence came upon one for breaking the marriage covenant at Mount Sinai that through the death of Messiah that the consequence of the penalty for breaking the covenant has now been annulled if she is going to repent of her sins and then accept the resurrected Messiah 
to be her new husband. So therefore, with the repentance of her sins, her sins get forgiven and the penalty for being unfaithful to her vows at Mount Sinai that she won't face the consequences of that penalty because her sins have been forgiven and the one that she marries is one that died and he's been resurrected as a new man. And so this is what Paul is trying to explain in these verses in Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. So now let's see that it was Yeshua who gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And if we look at Matthew in chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, And she, that is Mary, shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name in Hebrew Yeshua, which means salvation. You will call his name salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. So it's Yeshua that saves his people from their sins. And then in Luke, in chapter 2, in verse 11, it is written, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So Yeshua saves his people from their sins. Yeshua is our Savior. And now if we look at James in chapter 4, and the first part of verse 12, it is written, There is one lawgiver who is able to save. The one that is able to save, that's Yeshua. He saves his people from their sins. He is our Savior. He also is the lawgiver. He also is the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. We can also see this if we pay attention and read carefully the words from Hebrews in chapter 12. And beginning in verse 24, it reads, Into Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant. So the subject here is Yeshua. What is said about him is that he's the mediator of the new covenant. And then the next verse, verse 25 says, see that you refuse not him that speaks. Well, who is him? Well, you have to go back to the previous verse and see what the subject is of the previous verse. And the subject is Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant. So see that you refuse not him, Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant that speaks. It says, for if they escaped not who refused him that spoke on the earth, who's him? Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant. When did he speak on the earth? This is referring to what happened at Mount Sinai. It says in verse 26, whose voice then shook the whole earth. So Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant, don't refuse him that spoke, whose voice then shook the whole earth. This is referring to what happened at Mount Sinai in Exodus in chapter 19 and verse 18, where it says, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. So you're not to refuse him that spoke whose voice then shook the whole earth. This is referring to the one that was at Mount Sinai who gave the Torah to Moses. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the one that you're not supposed to refuse is Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant. We can also see this in Acts in chapter 7 in Stephen's sermon, where he says in verse 30, and when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him, that is Moses, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in 
a bush. So this is referring to Exodus in chapter 3 and verse 2, where it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, that is Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now this word angel is the Hebrew word malak, which means a messenger. And so the Hebrew says, The messenger of the Lord appeared to him. When it gets translated as angel, it's not talking about Gabriel or Michael or one who is in the angelic class of entities, but this is speaking that one who is a messenger of the Lord is the one that appeared unto Moses at the burning bush. And then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen goes on to say in verses 37 and 38, this is that Moses said of the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear. And so Stephen then is making a reference to Deuteronomy in chapter 18 and verse 15, which says, The Lord your God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear. And so Stephen is explaining that Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 is speaking of Yeshua. And then he goes on to say in Acts chapter 7 verse 38, This is he, that is that prophet, that is Yeshua. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel that spoke to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles, that is the Torah, to give unto us. And so Stephen also is given an account that the one that appeared to Moses at the burning bush that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai is the messenger of the Lord. And so this messenger of the Lord that appears to Moses at the burning bush and gives the Torah at Mount Sinai, when Moses asks him, what is your name? Then the answer that is given is, I am that I am, and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Yeshua said in the book of John, in John in chapter 8, and verse 58, Yeshua said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So Yeshua was making a reference back to he's the I am that spoke to Moses in Exodus in chapter 3. And then Yeshua says, emphasizing that he's the I am, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Yeshua also said in John in chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. And so when Yeshua keeps emphasizing that he's the I am, he's giving a hint or a reference back to Exodus in chapter 3 that he was the one that appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And he's the one that said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so now we're going to see that the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai is also the bridegroom because at Mount Sinai, there was a marriage that took place between the lawgiver, who was also the bridegroom, and the people who were at the mountain, which is the nation of Israel or the house of Jacob. And so let's see that there was a marriage at Mount Sinai. And Jeremiah and 
chapter 2, in verse 2, it is written, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousal. When you went after me in the wilderness, that is at Mount Sinai, in a land that was not sown. And so we see here in describing what happened at Mount Sinai, it speaks of the love of your espousal. The word espousal is the Strong's number 3623 and the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. It's the Hebrew word Kalula. And within the Hebrew word Kalula is the Hebrew word for bride, which is Kala. And so we see here in the Hebrew, there's an association that a bride, Kala, is betrothed or espoused, Kalula. And we can see how espousal or betrothal is legal marriage because in Matthew, in chapter 1 and verse 18, we read the following. Now the birth of Yeshua HaMashiach was on this wise, when as his mother was espoused to Joseph. His mother Mary was espoused or betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found of child of the Holy Spirit. And so Mary and Joseph were espoused or betrothed. They were married even though they hadn't consummated the marriage. Because we can see in the next verse, in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19, that Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. That is, he sought to get a divorce. So even though they had not consummated the marriage, espousal or betrothal is legal marriage, and the only way that you can get out of espousal or betrothal is by a divorce. And so there's two main stages of a biblical marriage. The first is betrothal or espousal, and in this stage of the biblical marriage, you are legally married to, but you do not physically dwell with. And so what happened at Mount Sinai was an espousal or a betrothal. Then the second stage of the marriage is where you physically dwell with your spouse and the marriage is consummated. This is called Nesuin. And betrothal is associated with Mount Sinai. The consummation of the marriage, Nesuin, is going to be associated with Mount Zion. And so if there's a marriage that took place at Mount Sinai, there needed to be a marriage offer. This offer was made to the house of Jacob, Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. The offer was to keep the Torah of the lawgiver, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. Obey his voice and keep his covenant means to follow his Torah. And so the lawgiver, that is Yeshua, he was the messenger of the Lord that appeared to Moses at the burning bush and told Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now at Mount Sinai, he's making a marriage offer to the house of Jacob, and the proposal that he's making to them is to follow or to keep his Torah, and that in doing so, they would be a holy people, and they would be a priesthood unto him. In other words, what Yeshua is offering the house of Jacob, all 12 tribes, is to be a Melchizedek priesthood unto him. And so was this offer accepted to follow his Torah? Exodus chapter 19 verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will 
do. And so the marriage offer was accepted. And so then there's going to be an exchange of vows. And this is going to take place at Mount Sinai. And so the Torah is seen as the ketubah, which is the marriage contract and the terms of the marriage between a man and a woman. So what happens is once the children of Israel agreed to the marriage, in the terms of the marriage, to follow the Torah, then when Moses comes down from the mount, he has the Ten Commandments that the children of Israel are worshiping the golden calf. And this is marital unfaithfulness. And so, therefore, the marriage covenant is broken. And she then is going to encounter the penalty for her marital unfaithfulness. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 19, it is written, It came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf in the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands, and he brake them beneath the mount. And so we see in the history of the nation of Israel, not only were they unfaithful in the marriage at Mount Sinai when they worshipped the golden calf, but when they went into the promised land, they also went after the gods in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. And primary among those other gods were Baal and Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth is the goddess of sex and fertility. So now in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 14 it is written, And you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But what did the children of Israel do when they went into the promised land through the leadership of Joshua? What did the generations do while they lived in the land? In Judges chapter 2 verse 12 and verse 13 it is written, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and Ashtoreth. So we see that the house of Jacob, the nation of Israel, is unfaithful in their marriage vows unto the lawgiver who is also the bridegroom. So Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. He's also the bridegroom. The name of his covenant family, the name of his bride at Mount Sinai, is the house of Jacob. So in the new covenant, what's the name of Yeshua's bride? We see the name of his bride, the name of his covenant family in Luke chapter 1 and verses 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name in Hebrew Yeshua, which means salvation. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Yeshua, the lawgiver and the bridegroom, entered into a marriage relationship with his bride, which is the house of Jacob. They were unfaithful in their marriage vows. They didn't follow the Torah. They broke the covenant. They went after other gods. And so ultimately, how the bridegroom is going to respond to his bride's marital unfaithfulness is there's going to be a separation. So he exiled them into the nations of the world. And his love for his bride is so great 
that rather than say it's it, it's over, it's done, he is going to show the highest form of Torah love for her. He's going to lay down his life and offer restoration and reconciliation and forgiveness under her if she will acknowledge her guilt, if she will repent of her sins. And so in order to do this, Yeshua had to die on the tree. And once he died, this is what Paul was explaining in Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 4, that his death severed the consequences of the original marriage wherein his wife was unfaithful and it severed the consequences of her guilt wherein she would die for her sins if she would repent of her sins. But in repenting of her sins, that is crucifying the flesh. That's dying to self. That's dying to pride. That's dying to your own ways. So in her repentance, she then has to experience a death, a death of her will. Well, that's going to conclude part nine of the series on the subject, Romans, for or against Torah. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.